And I think the first book I read that really made a difference was uh, Mice and Men. And I really liked it. I felt like it was really heavy, uh, like emotionally, and it was like kind of blew me away. And then from there, I just started uh, reading a bunch. But I, I, I'm not really a serial reader either. I, I, I don't, it's not like TV for me. I don't just pick up a book to read it because I want to read. I kind of picky. I, too, uh, you know, very, I go, go to the classics and stuff like that. When I was in college, I took an American literature course and we read Moby Dick. My discussions that have already been published were planned out. I did pre-calls with guests to find out what they were reading and what they would like to talk about on the podcast. I then read reviews of the books we were going to discuss, and a week or two later, we did the podcast, either in the Anchor Podcast Lab in New York City or in another quiet, quiet spot. I knew the books to be discussed, I had questions prepared, and for the most part, I had a plan for the discussion. The discussions in the episode this week are quite different. First, these discussions were impromptu. No planning, no prep, no organization. Second, as you will hear, we did not go to a quiet spot. Most were recorded with the background noise of the diner or the restaurant where we had the discussion. Although you can add background music and sounds to a podcast on the Anchor app, all of the background in this episode is genuine. Finally, prior episodes range from about 16 minutes to a little over 40 minutes. Each one of my impromptu discussions in this episode is relatively brief. The one similarity between this episode and all the prior episodes is that we offer an eclectic mix today as well. I carry the memories or the ghosts of a place called Vietnam, the people of Vietnam, my fellow soldiers. More importantly, I guess, I carry the weight of responsibility and a sense of abiding guilt. I carry joyful memories too, friends I made and the conversations at foxholes where for a moment or two, the war would seem to vanish into camaraderie and friendship. The wars don't end when you sign peace treaties or when the years go by. They will echo on until I'm gone and all the widows and orphans are gone. Tim O'Brien, author of The Things They Carried. From Bookworms in the Wild and from Anchor, I'm Howard Alterescue, and this is my podcast where I ask people I find interesting to tell me what they're reading. We have now published five episodes of the podcast. We have discussed the history of comic books with Frank Burbrink of the American Museum of Natural History, a call to action in the context of the history of the formation of our country and the post-Civil War era with Hardin Coleman of Boston University. We've discussed Haruki Murakami, Thomas McGuane, and several other great writers and their books with my old friend Jim Finnegan, who is certain that Murakami will be a Nobel Prize winner. We discussed Durga Chu Bowes and several other Brooklyn and New York City-based writers and their stories with Emma Holland of the Repo Rights Zine and of The Wing, and with Stephen King superfan Maya Prohovnik of Anchor, we discussed her love and admiration for the works of Stephen King, as well as her favorite book of all time, a sci-fi tale featuring a barrel full of monkeys. This has been an eclectic mix for sure.
we have a number of additional interesting discussions with some very interesting guests coming up over the next several weeks. But I wanted to use this week to publish a few discussions I had last spring as I was just developing my ideas for the podcast. My discussions that have already been published were planned out. I did pre-calls with guests to find out what they were reading and what they would like to talk about on the podcast. I then read reviews of the books we were going to discuss, and a week or two later, we did the podcast, either in the Anchor Podcast Lab in New York City or in another quiet, quiet spot. I knew the books to be discussed, I had questions prepared, and for the most part, I had a plan for the discussion. The discussions in the episode this week are quite different. First, these discussions were impromptu. No planning, no prep, no organization. Second, as you will hear, we did not go to a quiet spot. Most were recorded with the background noise of the diner or the restaurant where we had the discussion. Although you can add background music and sounds to a podcast on the Anchor app, all of the background in this episode is genuine. Finally, prior episodes range from about 16 minutes to a little over 40 minutes. Each one of my impromptu discussions in this episode is relatively brief. The one similarity between this episode and all the prior episodes is that we offer an eclectic mix today as well. So, one guest in today's episode will discuss a book about the geological beginnings of Earth itself. Another will discuss how he became a reader, beginning with some classic fiction and then later nonfiction. Two will briefly discuss a chilling dystopian tale, and we will conclude with a discussion of some books that offer sobering accounts of soldiers at war. Let's start with my discussion with Marty Lynch, founder with his wife Sarah of Marty's Mercantile, a little oasis on Route 28A in West Shokin, New York, where the Wolfpack and I frequently stop in for breakfast or lunch and to pick up provisions. Marty and his family moved to the Catskills from Washington, D.C. a few years ago and renovated a great 100-year-old building to create Marty's Mercantile. While West Shokin is quieter than Washington, D.C., the store keeps Marty quite busy. When we spoke, Marty was reading, actually, he was behind the counter cooking, but he told us about the book he was reading, which was Graham Hancock's Magicians of the Gods, The Forgotten Wisdom of Earth's Lost Civilization, which is a sequel to Hancock's bestseller, Fingerprints of the Gods, which has been described as an astonishing, deeply controversial, wide-ranging investigation of the mysteries of our past and the evidence for Earth's lost civilization. So, Marty, tell us about what you're reading. I'm reading Graham Hancock's Magician of the Gods. It's a, um, a book written by a quasi-archaeologist, if you will, about a period called the Younger Dryas, which was approximately 12,900 years ago, um, uh, and a period which is heavily studied because of um, uh, the, the floods and the change in the climate during the Holocene period that occurred uh, then, which wiped out most of the, of the large mammals in North America. Um, they think that a meteorite or a comet broke into pieces and hit the North American ice shelves 
uh, which is why the ocean levels rose and which is why most of the large mammals got, were wiped out and most of the human population was wiped out as well. And it also could be the cause for the flood story in every major religion that we have today. But as scientists are studying various aspects of the Middle East, uh, Europe, and North America where they can see signs of massive flooding. Um, for instance, there was a, a falls called Dry Falls in, uh, in, I think, Wyoming or one of the northwest states that was 100 times larger than Niagara Falls today. And nothing could have caused that flooding other than massive melting caused by some sort of anomaly, whether it's a volcanic, volcanic explosion or a meteor or comet hit the earth. So that's what I'm reading about. Anyway. Thank you very much, Marty. Whatever we may think of Hancock's work, Wikipedia, the source of all definitive knowledge and wisdom today, confirms what Marty said about Dry Falls, which is actually located in the state of Washington, as Marty said, in the Northwest. According to Wikipedia, the current geological model shows that catastrophic flooding channeled water at 65 miles an hour through the upper Grand Coulee and over this 400-foot rock face at the end of the last ice age. It's estimated that Dry Falls was five times the width of Niagara with 10 times the flow of all the current rivers in the wor world combined. After speaking with Marty, I spoke with his cousin Dominic, who also works at Marty's Mer Mercantile. Dominic is a guitar player, a builder of guitars, a hiker, a budding fly fisherman, a great sandwich maker, and much more. Dominic. Tell us what you're reading, and tell us how you started to read. Uh, books, let's see. Um, you know, I got into reading later in life. I, I wasn't that big on it in high school. Honestly, I cheated a lot. I never read... <laughs> I always read Spark Notes and stuff like that. And then I think the first book I read that really made a difference was uh, Mice and Men. And I really liked it. I felt like it was really heavy, uh, like, emotionally, and it was, like, kind of blew me away. And then from there, I just started... Uh, reading a bunch, but I, I, I'm not really a serial reader either. I, I, I don't, it's not like TV for me. I don't just pick up a book to read it because I want to read. I kind of picky, I chew, you know, very, I go, go to the classics and stuff like that. When I was in college, I took a, an American literature course and we read Moby Dick and the professor, and we analyzed it and it was awesome because I love it now. And I'm like, I, one of my friends who was studying to be a, a literary professor at one point was like, dude, even I haven't read Moby Dick yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think most of the kids in my class were just reading summaries of chapters and stuff like that. But uh, it's cool. I really like it because, again, it had a lot of allegory. Um, I've always been into philosophy. I'm a bit of a sci-fi nerd, too. So I love, like, Dune and all, all great classic sci-fi books. Uh, and then, let's see, I've just started to go into nonfiction a little bit more based on uh, some of Marty's recommendations that he gave me. So I just, I just finished uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, uh, John Parson, I think it is, um, and uh, I have I just ordered the uh, Extraordinary Delusions, Popular Delusions, and the Madness of Crowds, which I heard is a good one. Uh, and then uh, I have someone else, another friend, also recommended to me uh, Guns, Germs, and Steel, which is, I heard is really good. Uh, so I want to check that out, too. And so, again, I've always been more of a fiction guy, but starting to get into a little bit more of nonfiction. Let me but... know when you start Guns, Germs, and Steel. Yeah, I will. Yeah. yeah. I heard it's a little, it's like textbooks the history. Yeah, yeah. It's awesome, though. It's yeah. Good. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, I know. I got to check that out. So that's, uh, it's, it's, it's high up on the priority list. Um, yeah, and then, uh, I don't know. So those are the books I like. Thanks, Dominic. 
While Steinbeck's novella of Mice and Men, which is about migrant workers, their loneliness, friendship, and fate during the Great Depression in the 1930s, is very widely read, it has also been banned at times for its vulgarity and other offensive language. Nice way to start your reading voyage, Dominic. Okay, now for a taste of dystopia. As you will hear in a moment, two of the young cashiers at Marty's Mercantile, Emily and Victoria, discussed a couple of dystopian novels when we spoke at Marty's. I frankly had not previously given a lot of thought to what really is a dystopian novel. However, when I recently googled around for a list of dystopian novels and the best of lists, I came across a number of books that I read many years ago, including Animal Farm and 1984, Slaughterhouse 5, Fahrenheit 451, and, most recently, The Hunger Games. I may have to add a new category to my book list spreadsheet. These best of lists also included the very chilling works The Man in the High Castle and, of course, The Handmaid's Tale. In a separate conversation, I asked Emily about the popularity of the dystopian works she and Victoria discussed. And Emily said, maybe that's where we're going. It is interesting that we today look back at George Orwell's novel, 1984, which was published in 1949, and many find chilling parallels to the news of today. I hope that we will not be looking back, or that our kids will not be looking back, in 30 or 40 years or sooner, and finding parallels then with the deprivation, oppression, and terror found in the dystopian novels popular today. Now, here are Emily and Victoria. There's <laughs> the one where, like, after, like, everyone after a certain age, like, 18 or something like that, was just, like, disappeared. Like, they were gone. That was on the back of a book. I don't know what it was called, though, I, but I'm well, talking about The Prey, because it goes from The Prey to... The Prey is the name of the book? Yeah, and the, the kids are, like... They're called LTs, and they don't know what that oh, yeah. stands for, but it stands yeah, yeah. for they less than. Yeah, they thought they were like lieutenant. Like a dystopian world oh, the, this is they they're also that. mutants, so they they don't understand was, why they're in these camps. And it was like a new, it was like after after nuclear war. Yeah, and then these kids had like like disformities, like their arms they'd be missing an arm or something, and they thought that they were like in military training to like go back into society. So they're called LTs, and they thought it was lieutenant, but it was less than, and they were gonna be like. Hunted for games. And this was called The Prey? The Prey. And then there's another book to the series, and they meet, like, another camp, and this other camp is full of girls. Like, the other one is boys. And it's, like, twin girls. And it's kind of, like, based off of what um, happened in, like, the Holocaust. Yeah, so these, the twins are being, like, tested, and, like, uh, yeah, like, science and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, these girls and these guys escape, and it's all about their story and what they do, like, after that. And it's, it's really good Oh, so that's why it's called Aftermath. No, that's that's oh. a different book. <laughs> <laughs> but this one yeah, is called the prey. The prey. Yeah. That, that's frightening. It's yeah. they're really good though. Yeah. I like those kinds of books. Well, thank you both very much. Yeah, thank you. Here's also a prior brief discussion with Emily about another disturbing dystopian novel. Good book. I like books that are kind of like a like a dystopian world. That's the Hunger Games. Yeah, for sure. And then like um, 
There's a series, and I think it's called Pretties. Pretties? Yeah. I forget who it's by. It's like, um, I read that one a while ago. It's like about, uh, kind of like a society where there's like the, the uglies and the I thought pretties. that's where you're going. Yeah, 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 something like that. And it's like, once you turn like 16, you go and get like a surgery to be like perfect and pretty. And it's like just about like society, you know, it's like changing like how it might be in the future with like all of the surgeries and everything that you can do now with technology. Switching gears to conclude with a different set of disturbing works, this time, it's tales of soldiers at war. One of the other young women working at Marty's Mercantile, who I spoke with, Adriana, was reading The Things They Carried, a collection of linked short stories by novelist Tim O'Brien about a platoon of American soldiers in the Vietnam War. The Things They Carried is based on O'Brien's experiences as a soldier in the 23rd Infantry Division in Vietnam. The title story details the actual gear soldiers carried, but as described in a New York Times review, the story is really about the other things the soldiers carry. Grief, terror, love, longing, shameful memories, and what unifies all the stories, the common secret of cowardice. These young men, O'Brien tells us, carried the soldier's greatest fear, which was the fear of blushing. Men killed and died because they were embarrassed not to. I took the opportunity to read quite a bit about O'Brien's moving and sometimes very sad novel and was interested to learn that it is one of the most heralded books about the Vietnam War. I googled around and quickly found the things they carried on six lists of best books about the Vietnam War, and at the top of many, including on the list published by the Council on Foreign Relations. All of the lists are included on my website, bookwormsinthewild.com. Three books that I read about the Vietnam War are Neil Sheehan's A Bright Shining Lie, Tree of Smoke, an epic novel by Dennis Johnson, and Larry Berman's Perfect Spy. The Things They Carried and these other books about the Vietnam War are terrific reads and also are worth reading simply to provide a historical context for those of us who visit and actually enjoy Vietnam today. In any event, all are reminders of another complicated, difficult, and emotionally draining time in the history of the country, and all are recommended. One last note about the Vietnam War. Not too long ago, the New York Times ran an article listing the songs that soldiers in Vietnam listened to as they trekked through the jungle and pointed out that these were many of the same songs that anti-war protesters, many of the same age as those soldiers, listened to back in the States. After reading the article, I created a Spotify playlist, a Vietnam soundtrack, including all of the songs in the Times article. I'll include a link to the playlist on my website. The songs include, not surprisingly, We Got to Get Out of This Place by The Animals, Happiness is a Warm Gun by The Beatles, These Boots Are Made for Walking by Nancy Sinatra, Johnny Cash's Ring of Fire, Martha Reeves and the Vandellas' Nowhere to Run, and, among many others, Barry Barry Maguire's Eve of Destruction, and, of course, the Ballad of the Green Berets. 
As long as I was thinking about the Vietnam War again, I also thought about two books that were recommended to me many years ago at the beginning of the Gulf War in response to my requests of friends for books that accurately portrayed soldiers at war. One is the extraordinarily moving World War I anti-war novel, All Quiet on the Western Front. And the second is called Colder Than Hell, which describes moments from the Korean War and was recommended by a friend and Marine combat veteran, Brendan Higgins. I look forward to also reading the recently released new book, Presidents of War, by the great presidential historian, Michael Beschloss. One can only hope that our presidents and other policymakers read some of these and other heart-wrenching accounts as they are called upon to make decisions about sending our young men and women into combat. In future episodes, we will resume our discussions with interesting guests, including when we are traversing the Catskills to find additional bookworms in the wild. Thanks. More information about our guests today can be found on our website, www.bookwormsinthewild.com. Our website also includes links to the books and other resources we referred to in our discussion. Thanks especially to my podcast team. Dave created the podcast with me and is my producer. Ron is responsible for art direction and design. Melanie, as always, is in control of most everything and has provided overall creative direction. Ben and Eden provide additional inspiration and support. And, of course, Carol is my muse, as well as my affiliate manager. The entire Wolfpack is also responsible for introducing me to most of our guests. Thanks also to the great Anchor team for making it free and easy to create the podcast. If you liked our podcast, please subscribe. And in any event, let me have your comments at bookwormsinthewild at gmail.com. Looking forward to seeing you on the podcast next week. I carry the memories or the ghosts of a place called Vietnam, the people of Vietnam, my fellow soldiers. More importantly, I guess, I carry the weight of responsibility and a sense of abiding guilt. I carry joyful memories too, friends I made and the conversations at foxholes where, for a moment or two, the war would seem to vanish into camaraderie and friendship. The wars don't end when you sign peace treaties or when the years go by. They will echo on until I'm gone and all the widows and orphans are gone. Tim O'Brien, author of The Things They Carried.